So good. Listen, uh, as we get ready for services next week, uh, we're going to try to have more chairs in here. Remember, first and second service, you guys pick the service you want to come to. Uh, If you don't mind coming to first, we have a little more room. So if you want to get up earlier and come on in, I'd encourage you to do that. But we expect a full house. And and so make sure you bring folks. Uh, I'm excited next week. We're going to talk more about the series, Lessons from the Garden. But we're going to talk about it from an Easter context. And it's going to be very powerful. Lord's already been showing me some stuff. So we're in week three from Lessons of the Garden. We've had a couple of folks that haven't been here. But they've told me they've been listening online. So you can always go on the website. The notes are there. You can download it, uh, download the message on your smartphone or your computer, whatever you want to do, and get caught up, or you can even send it to a friend. So make sure you do that. Uh, So we've been talking about lessons from the garden. We're in week three, and one of the points that we talked about last week is that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, before sin came, they were naked and they were not afraid, okay? They, they were completely naked, and they were not afraid at all. They were not ashamed. And, and so I've wondered, that, that was such a significant point, and we talked about it last week. But the reason that they felt that way, and there's some blanks on your paper there just as a recap, is that they were completely safe. They were in an environment where they were completely safe, and they were completely accepted. There also was no sin. Sin had not come into the world yet. So there was no reason for them to feel anything other than complete safety because there was no sin. But... The reason that they felt the most safe was that there was no separation from God. And I want to make a point here, and it's one of our big thoughts from today, is this, is that sin separates us from God and those around us. Have you ever noticed that? When people that you and I both know have sin in their life, they're they're walking around, they're doing things they don't need to be doing, what happens is they're separated from God, but you'll notice what happens too is they separate themselves from people around them every single time. Think about it. Friends in your life, maybe you've had some friends that had issues with an addiction or something like that. What happens is they tend to draw away from the people closest to them. It is a natural tendency. Why? Because sin separates. And I want to I clue you in on something right here that is so important. Every single time. Every single time. The Bible says that sin for a season is fun. Anybody know that? Sin for a season is fun, but the end destruction, some of the guys are like, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, but the end destruction is what? The end result is what? Destruction and death. And so sin separates us, but it also leads to destruction. And so when Adam and Eve were in the garden, sin had not come yet. They were completely naked, but they were not scared of anything. Their fear had never even entered into the world yet. And the presence of God was with them. The Bible says in the cool of the evening, the presence of God would come down and walk with them. And they were completely at peace. Isn't that amazing? But we're going to pick up today in week three, and we're going to talk about some of the D's that I mentioned to you guys. I think we've only gotten through one in two weeks. We're going to cover a little more territory today, and we're going to talk about some of the things that happens when sin comes into the world and the way that Satan strategizes to get to us. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses verses 1 through 13. It's also on your notes or up on the screen. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, now this is important. You might want to circle this on your notes. You surely will not die. Is that the truth? It's a lie. 
For God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and look what happened, and that they were naked. I'm sorry, from some of you in the north, naked. (laughs) My southern boy came out, naked. (laughs) They were naked. They had no clothes on. Let's just establish that, okay? Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, look at this, hid themselves. From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was what? First time we see fear in the Bible. It's the first time we see fear in the Bible, right here. And I was afraid. Why was I afraid? Because I was naked. So I hid myself. Verse 11 And God said, Who told you? That you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Now this is important, and I'm going to cover this later. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Last week we talked about deception. And here's the thing about being deceived, guys. If you're being deceived, you don't know that you're being deceived. Because once you realize that you're being deceived, follow me here, once you realize that, you're not being deceived anymore. We talked about all the guys wearing camouflage, going hunting. The whole idea of wearing camouflage is so that the animals will not see you. But once they see you, they are no longer deceived. Once you see what's going on, that deception goes away. Genesis 3 says this, verse 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And they're talking about, when we're talking about the serpent here, we're talking about Satan. Now notice this. He's crafty. He's deceitful. He is all about camouflage. And the, and the way that we see the devil interact with the woman here, notice with Eve, is look at what he says. He doesn't come up and say to her, Now look, I want you to eat of this tree and it's going to destroy your life. Go ahead. What's she going to do? Well, I'm not doing that. But what the devil does is he deceives us into thinking that what we're going after is going to fulfill some need in our life. He, he paints this picture that it's going to be okay. You're not going to get caught. Nobody's going to find out. Did God really say that? And the problem is we end up in a place that we don't ever want to be because of those things. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 says this, No wonder For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't show up with a red suit, horns, and a pitchfork, guys. That's not the way this works. The devil shows up in a way, typically in a way that we are familiar with, that we're comfortable with, and we are deceived. And that's the way that works. And that's a recap from last week. But this week we're going to cover three Ds. And the first D that I want to cover today, look on your notes, is distortion. Distortion. Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5, the woman, excuse me, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. God has said, you know, she just told 
uh, Satan that, hey, if we eat of this, Lord, you know, this is not good. And, and he said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. He distorts the truth. But notice what the devil does. And if you go through here and read word by word what Eve says and what Satan says, he takes pieces of the truth. He takes portions of the truth. He doesn't just come up with this bold-faced thing that's so obvious. He distorts it. He deceives. So he takes pieces of the truth, and he gives us pieces of the truth and mixes it in with the deception. And that's what he does with her. He distorts the truth. Look at verse uh, chapter 5 in Isaiah. Verse 13 says this. Therefore, my people will go into exile Another version says bondage. Another version says slavery for lack of understanding. And I want you to know, guys, today, that's what a lot of us run into is that we get in trouble because we don't know. And if you don't know the truth, you're, you're bound to fall for just about anything. For thousands of years, very smart, smart people thought that the world was what? Flat. I mean, very smart people thought, hey, the world's flat. If you go out there, you're going to fall off the edge. Don't go out there, right? It wasn't until thousands of years later that people began to realize that, hey, the world might be curved. And now we recognize that. And we can look back and laugh at them, all those ignorant people, but we do the same stuff, right? Because if we don't know the truth, you'll fall for anything. This is what Jesus said about truth. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Now, can I tell you something about the truth also? Sometimes the truth hurts a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the truth hurts. But the reality is once you know the truth, you are no longer deceived because now you know what the truth is. But I want to encourage you. One of the reasons I want you guys in your Bibles is so that you can know the truth because if you don't know the truth, that's how cults come along. People take a portion of the truth And then they expand on it and turn it into all this stuff. But I want you guys to be Bible scholars. Turn to your neighbor and say, Bible scholar. Come on, right here. Go ahead. Yeah. Turn to your other neighbor and say, do you have a picture Bible? I'm just wondering. Go ahead. That's okay. Right? (laughs) Nothing wrong with a picture Bible. But here's the thing. I want you to learn the Bible. Now, look. If I ever say something up here that I take out of context and that is not true, I want you to call call me out on it. Absolutely. I want you to say, man, pastor, I was reading the other day, and we can talk about it. I am good with that. What I don't want is for you to never read your Bible, and no matter, I mean, and anybody can tell you anything, and you go, well, I guess it's in the Bible. Where is it? I don't know. A first hesitation, something. <laughs> and if you don't know, people can deceive you. But if you know the Bible, you can't be deceived. Does that make sense? Pretty simple truth. But... For thousands of years in history, in our history, people could not read. And there were thousands of years that the Bible was read in Latin. The only one that understood the, one, the words was the one reading them, and nobody else understood. So this person could say anything they want to say, but can I tell you something else? It was the same way when it got translated into English. Why? Because a lot of people couldn't read. We were talking about this Wednesday night in our adult Sunday school class that there are people in this room that went to public schools when they were younger, and they actually had the Bible as one of the books they read to learn how to read in public school. That's not that long ago. When you look back in early American history, one of the books they learned to read out of was the Bible, okay? That was actually a textbook, was the Bible, 
But we have become, as a people, biblically illiterate. And so we don't know what's in here. And the problem with that is you can be misled. So read your Bible. And some of you, maybe like me, reading may be a little difficult. You can listen to the Bible. We have no excuses. There's all these resources available to us. But get the word in here. Why? Because what will happen is when the devil tries to deceive you, if you know the truth, the truth's going to keep you free. But if you don't, you're liable to get into trouble. Amen? All right, so the first thing that happens is he distorts us and he causes confusion. Well, you can see this going on with Eve. He takes a portion of the word, Miss Anita, he speaks to her, and then he distorts it, and now she's confused. Now she doesn't really know. Well, is that what God said? Is that really? And then this distortion starts to lead her down a path she doesn't want to go. And it leads to number two, blank number two on your paper, dissatisfaction. The first blank's distortion. The second blank is dissatisfaction. Look at Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, it looked good, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Here's what happened. Eve didn't know that I mean, there was no, hey, I don't need that. God said, don't get it. We don't need it. But the devil came to her and said, hey, you're missing out. God's keeping this from you. And she became dissatisfied. I need something else. God's holding out on me. And this dissatisfaction led her to the greatest sin of her life. And I thought, we do the same stuff. Did you know right now, and I need somebody to fact check this, I think the reality is only 2% of the world's population has a car. Like 2%, something like that. It's a really minuscule number. 2%. Most of us have more than one, right? But what happens to us? Come on, somebody. Are you happy with the car you have? Not if you've seen the 2019 Corvette. <laughs> right? I mean, we walk out and we get these cars and we're happy for a while, aren't we? We're like, oh, man, so this, this is great. And then you see something you like better. And what do you do? You turn around your car, piece of junk. <laughs> yeah, truth, right? And what happens is we begin to become dissatisfied. Now, I'm going to connect some dots here for you. You ready for this? Ten commandments, thou shalt not covet. Coveting is wanting something somebody else has. And, and Paul actually talks about in the New Testament, he said, this is what gets you in trouble. You want what somebody else has, and you're willing to kill to get it. That's a problem. And let me tell you what that looks like. You say, well, I wouldn't kill anybody to get their Corvette. Depends on the Corvette. <laughs> no, but you say, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, but you know what you do? You become unhappy and dissatisfied with what you have. And then you start becoming miserable. And then it's, you know what it does? It starts causing division in your life. It starts becoming unhappy. And now, no longer are you not happy with your car. You're not happy with your spouse. And you're not happy with your kids. And, and then you begin to say things like, well, if I had their kids, I'd be happy. Or if I had their job. Or if I had there, and, and that you see where this goes? And what happens is we become dissatisfied with what God has given us, and we start looking out at what everybody else has. 
Pastors do it too. Well, if I had their building, of course we'd have more people at our church. Pastors do it too. And we have all this stuff where we get envious of other people, and it leads to dissatisfaction in our life. And guys, I want to tell you something. I have had more pain in my life because of this than just about anything else. Because I wasn't happy with what I had, so I decided I needed something else. I'm going to trade up. And it gets you in trouble. Let me put it to you this way. I'm going I'm to make a statement, and I'm going to leave a blank, and I want you to fill in the blank. Are you ready? If only I had blank, I'd be happy. Somebody tell me what your blank was. What? Somebody? Health? Okay. If only I had health, I'd be happy. Somebody else. If only I had your car back, you'd be happy. Teenager, right there. There you go. All right. If only I had more money. What else? If only I had... Bigger house, okay. You see where this goes? And we start off and we keep going, we keep going. Now listen to me, I want you to hear something. That doesn't mean there are things in your life that you don't want, that's okay. But it's a problem when you become dissatisfied because here's the thing, then you get miserable. Then you get miserable. 98% of the population in the world doesn't have a car. They're walking around and they're going, gee, I wish I had a pair of shoes that didn't have a hole in them. It's all relative, folks. And we're going, I got three cars and that one's junk, right? The AC doesn't blow as cold as I'd like, right? It's relative. And we become dissatisfied. This was important. The Lord actually showed me some stuff this morning. This isn't the sermon. I probably need to do a sermon on this. But I'm going to give you the cure for dissatisfaction this morning. It's not in your notes. So get ready to write down, okay? The cure for dissatisfaction is contentment. Contentment. The word contentment means being satisfied with what God has given you. It comes from the old English word, get this, this is cool, containment, which refers to somebody who is self-contained. The Apostle Paul said it this way, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to get, how to get along with prosperity. In, every and every, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. Now listen, this is important. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Philippians 4, 11 through 12. Paul said, I've learned to be satisfied with what I have. Because here's the deal. And I'm going to save somebody a lot of heartache. I spent most of my adult life. See, I got saved at the age of 16. Most of the sin I've ever done was after that. And much of the sin that I've done in my life was caused by this, dissatisfaction. So I was constantly chasing the next thing. More money, different car, whatever, fill in the blank. And I did that. But here's what I found out. I caught most of it. I'm a really good catcher. I was thinner then. I could run faster. And I caught a lot of the things I ran after. But you know what I found out, Clint? It wasn't enough. It was not, it was not enough. I caught this promotion, and then I thought, well, I need the next one, Wes. If I could just get the next promotion, then I'll be happy. And I got that one, and then it was the next one. And then pretty soon you get at the top, and you go, there's nowhere else to go. And why am I still dissatisfied? Because I was deceived. I was deceived in believing it was the next thing. 
And guys, if that's you today, stop. Jesus says this, God says this, come to me, taste and drink. Why do you waste your life on things that don't satisfy you? He is the one that satisfies us. When he, Dennis, when he was with the woman at the well, she came out to get a drink of water. And Jesus said, I can tell you about water so that you'll never get thirsty again. And he was talking about him. That, that if we learn to receive Christ and, and learn to accept him in our life and depend on him, we can find satisfaction that will keep us out of trouble, gang. But dissatisfaction's a problem. Here's three things. These are the three keys to commitment. Write these down. Three keys to com- contentment. Value what God values. In other words, you need to see what God sees as important and value that. Number two, be grateful for what God has given you. Be grateful for what God has given you. Number three, this is the big one. Trust in God's sovereign plan for your life. Psalms reminds us that every part of our life was planned before we drew our first breath. Listen, I'm going to help you out right now. God knows what you need more than you do. God knows what you need more than you do. Every person in this room, and I look around this room, you guys are so awesome. I love y'all. You guys are just cool. But every one of you is unique. Every one of you has different motivations. Every one of you has different gifts. Every one of you has different desires. But God made you. And he knows uniquely what's going to satisfy your life. So I want to help you. Stop trying to figure that out yourself and ask him to give you what you need. That changed me. When I stopped chasing things that didn't satisfy me anyway, and I began to ask God to fulfill my life, I started learning how to be satisfied with my life. I didn't need a different wife. I needed to be a better husband. Newsflash, I'm not perfect. Go figure. Some of you are shocked right now. You thought I was. Yes, thank you, Sue, for your honesty. I'll deal with you later. But Joey, seriously, this changed me. Because what I started realizing, guys, is that God knew what I needed. So why not go to the manufacturer and say, God, give me what I need. Satisfy me. Do you know the Lord says that he will satisfy our longings? But notice what happens. This is what he says, Sharnan. I will satisfy your longings. Not everything else. And so what happens when you become content, it's hard for the devil to deceive you. Oh, you need this, you need that. You need to go eat the tree of life because it's going to fulfill your life. You go, no, the the truth is that God knows what I need. And so then you're not deceived anymore. Do you see how that works? But see, Eve didn't have that. She thought, oh, maybe I do need that. And then she got in trouble. Remember those three things, okay? Matter of fact, we'll try to print those next week and have those for you. Somebody remind me, okay? Number three, and then we'll close. Number three, division. That's what Satan does. He causes division. Now, division is a very interesting word. Division. It means more than one vision. Okay? And, and what the devil does, and John, he does this today, just like he did back then. The way the devil breaks up families, the way the devil breaks up churches, businesses, schools, whatever, is this is how it works. He gets two people and gives them different visions, and they start pulling different directions. 
When there's one vision, and think about a team. When you've got a team and they're focused on the goal and everybody's going the same direction, things go pretty well. But what happens is people become dissatisfied, right? And then they start pulling their own direction. And they become selfish. The Bible says it this way. Don't be unequally yoked. Why? Because if you have two people that are unequally yoked, they're going to go different directions. What's going to happen? Destruction. Nothing's going to get done. And so the devil knew that. And so he immediately came down. He distorted the truth, but his goal was to cause division. Separation. A different way of thinking. And that's exactly what happened. Look at Genesis 3 verse 1. The man said, after God said, hey, what happened? Here's what Adam said. Now notice this. In the view of division, Crystal, listen, you're going to like this. In the view of division, watch this. The man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Notice what happens here. Check this out. This is, now this is kind of funny. Let's be real, all right? But I want you to look at this and see what happened. Has there ever been sin up to this point by people? Satan sinned, no sin, just happened, right? What's the first thing that Adam does? Well, God, that's exactly right. God, the woman that who gave him? The woman that you gave me. She is the one that gave me the fruit. His first response is to blame, but notice here, guys, he blames her, but who's he really blaming? You gave this to me, God. He's blaming God. And then, I think in that mo- there was this moment of realization, Donald, and he went, that's probably not gonna work. <laughs> right? Because dudes are smart like that. And he goes, hey, this isn't gonna work, so you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to throw her under the bus. She did it. (laughs) It's always the woman. Wow. I'll talk to you guys later, okay? (laughs) Okay. Okay. That wasn't me, Pastor. Here's the the thing. Here's the deal. Notice the first thing he does is he blames somebody else. Anybody ever done that? I'm going to show you what it looks like. We have a family picture that my mom and dad have. I'm probably four. My brother's two. It's a black and white picture. We're out in front of my grandmother's house. My brother's two years younger than me, okay? I have a water hose. This water hose is, is level with my brother's face and is spraying him right in the face. My mom, grandmother, aunt and uncle, somebody came outside And they're like this far away. And you can tell from the way the picture is, I have looked up and they took the picture. Because the look on my face is, who, me? I'm literally going. And my brother's going. Because it's hitting him right in the face. And can I just tell you, when I think of Adam and Eve in this moment in time, this is exactly what I think of. It's not me. I mean, drop the hose, you know? I'm sure that's what happened right after that. But that's how we act the same way. Now, I'm going to say a truth here that you need to hear. This is where I'm going with this. There was division, and the division was caused by our sin, and that separated us from God. 
But, but I want you to notice something here. Adam wasn't willing to own it right off the bat, was he? He wasn't willing to own it. He blamed everybody else for a minute. But I want to give Adam some props here. This is important. Let's read it again. The woman who you gave to me, the woman you gave to be with me, he said, she gave me from the fruit. But notice there's a comma. But I ate it. That says a lot about Adam. Because can I just be honest with you? In my 11 years of being a senior pastor, lead pastor, I'm getting older now. I like lead pastor better than senior pastor. Because <laughs> senior sounds like, Dennis, come on, help me. Yeah, well, okay, hey. <laughs> People blame everybody else and they never take responsibility. It's because of how I was raised. It's because of what happened to me. It's because of fill in the blank, right? And can I tell you something, folks, from the bottom of my heart, but more importantly, from God's heart to yours, you're going to have to own it. No healing can come until you take that responsibility. You may have ended up where you are because of some things that have happened to you, but can I be honest with you? You ate the apple. Somebody else may have handed it to you, but you ate it. And I, and I was talking to some folks the other day, and, and this is just a truth, guys. This is just a truth. Until you get to the place where you're willing to own what you've done, I'm not saying keep it. I'm just saying own it. And say, all right, God, I got a problem. The Bible says, confess your sins, repent, and God will cleanse you from what? All unrighteousness, not just unrighteousness, from all of it. See, God's not in the business of wanting to judge you. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to judge the world. He came into the world to forgive us. He came into the world to give us a way out. But we have to own it. Because if you're willing to point fingers at everybody else but never take responsibility for your own stuff, listen to me. And this is going to sound really harsh. You're never going to get free. There are people that you and I both know they blame everybody else for their issues and they're never going to get better. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry what happened to you. I'm sorry that things have gone on in your life that shouldn't have. I am. But, but until you take responsibility for your, your part, guys, you're never going to get past it. And we need to do that. Because the devil's whole plan is to cause division between us and God. Sin separates. That was his plan from the beginning. It's not really, I want you to hear this. It's not that the devil really cares about you. He just wants to keep you from God. He, he, you're one of God's kids, and he hates God, and therefore he hates you. And he'll do anything he can to get you. I used this fishing bait last week. Isn't this massive? Yeah, it's beautiful. Huh? I have no idea. It's fishing bait. Somebody said, what will that catch? Anything it hits, probably. It's huge, right? But here's the way this works. I'm going to give you a simple illustration, okay? This is a bait. Notice what's on the bottom of it that's very important. Hook. I'm going to read a statement here, and I want you to hear this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. 
If Eve had known up front what was going to happen, she'd have never gone there. See, we don't see the end. We have to believe what God says is true. We have to believe him when he says this is going to hurt you. Because if we don't, then we're liable to follow this. So just work with me here for a minute. This actually happened to me last year. I was with Shane, and we were out fishing. Usually when Shane takes me fishing, it's like two degrees outside. It actually wasn't that day. It was very nice. I'm at the back of the boat. We're fishing. I've got a brand new bait that looks like this, but it's a lot smaller. So what happens? I cast out. It's like the second or third cast with this bait. And all of a sudden, my my pole goes, bends over. I'm not even making this up. I mean, it bends over, and all of a sudden, the line starts running away. You know how it does? And it starts running away because this fish is big, and Shane's at the front of the boat, David, and he goes, oh, which means something. Because, you know, he caught fish legally and illegally most of his life. (laughs) And he was excited. So I knew this was big, Steve. I knew this was onto something, Danny. This is big. And the fish takes off, and he's all, he's grabbing the net and everything. Now watch this. I just read to you what this looks like. This is sin. Okay? And the fish is chilling. And all of a sudden, sin comes, and it deceives them. Is this really good to eat? But it looks good. So what does it do? The fish comes up and bites it, and now it's hooked. So what what does the fish do? It tries to get away. Sin takes you where you don't want to go. So what do I do? I start reeling him in. And we get this fish up to the boat. And I'm not exaggerating. It was that. No, okay, that was exaggerating. It was about that big. It's like five, six-pound bass. I'm going, oh, 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 right? Because here's what it does. I'm telling this truth. It comes up. The water is real pretty blue and clear. It comes up to the side of the boat. And it turns, and it's swimming along the boat. And I'm going like this, and Shane's getting the net ready. And the fish looks at me, and you know what the fish does? It winked at me. No, it didn't. But I thought it, it was like, and it spit the bait out. Took off. Thank you for your sympathy. So, so and I'm not exaggerating. We, stood, we both stood in the boat for like 60 seconds. And you guys that know Shane will appreciate his comments. We stand there. Neither one of us said anything. He's got the net. I'm standing there. And he goes, you just lost the biggest fish in this entire lake. I was like, thanks. I mean, of everything he could have said, he's like, you know, he says that. It wasn't like, oh, we'll get them next time. It's okay. It wasn't all that big. It was like, you just lost the biggest fish in the lake. Thank you. Thank you, Eve. Let's blame somebody else. (laughs) See how that works? Ten bucks coffee mug. They're yours. Good job. That was awesome. I mean, but that, that really happened. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to get. The bait was sin. The fish got hooked. The fish is going where it doesn't want to go. And can I tell you what it was going to cost that fish? Everything. See, sin doesn't, the Bible doesn't say sin's going to give you a bad day. The Bible said sin leads to death. Sin leads to destruction. But let me tell you what happened on the cross. Jesus came 
And he stepped in and he took our punishment on himself. And just like that fish went (laughs) and got away, you and I get that too. He cuts the line. He unhooks us. He sets us free. But can I tell you something? It cost him everything. It cost him everything. You know, right now, if I were to sit down with most of you in this room, you probably have some scars from the hooks of sin in your life. Anybody? Some of you have physical scars of things that you've done that were the y'all watch this things. But probably most of you have emotional scars in your life where you were hooked and it was killing you. And if Jesus hadn't come along, if he hadn't unhooked you, it would have killed you. It would have destroyed your life. And here's the thing I want you to understand. I said it at the beginning of the message. Remember this? I said this. Sin separates us from God and those around us. It hurts not only this relationship, but it hurts these relationships. If that's you, and if you cry out to him, he will unhook you. That's how he rolls. And and you may say, I'm the idiot. I did this. I knew I shouldn't have done this. But I did it. The Bible doesn't say, as long as it doesn't qualify in these three sins. The Bible says he will forgive any sin. All sin, it says, all. The worst thing you can think of. If you will come to him and confess and repent, turn away from. He'll forgive you guys. That's the way this works. The reason that sin is so easy for us to be forgiven for is because it costs God everything. It costs Jesus his life. It was a steep, steep price. And some of the horrible things that you and I have done, he took on himself on that cross so that we could be free. Let me give you the final point, and it's the point I'm going to use each week to close. Let me tell you why really, really Adam and Eve ended up in this problem. They didn't trust God. You're like, well, how does that? No, hear me out. If they would have believed what God said, they would have never ended up in that spot. See, Eve could have just as easily said, hey, God said we shouldn't do this. We have everything we need. I mean, this is my pet lion. (laughs) You know, we can eat anything. Everything's good. And God told me I don't need that. But she didn't believe him. And you know what? Neither did Adam or he wouldn't have eaten it either. We blame Eve. He was just as guilty. So here's the thing. If I were to ask you this question right now, I went to, I, if I were, I'm going to. Do you feel dissatisfied in life? Is there an area in life, something that's lacking for you? Do you? Let me ask you this question on the follow-up for that. Do you feel like God's holding out on you? Do you? Because here's the thing. Depending on how you answered both those questions, 
you could get in a lot of trouble. And some of you may be in a lot of trouble. And it may be trouble that nobody else knows about but you and God. But can I tell you a truth today? That sin is separating you from this, but it's separating you from the people around you and the people that are closest to you. Guys, there's a reason the gospel is called the good news. Let me just tell you the good news. You don't have to be like that fish. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, there is forgiveness. But you have to receive it. Jesus said if, if you'll do it, if you'll come, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, he says, and I will give you rest if you'll come. Confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you'll confess your sin. If. So here's how we're going to close today. Very, very, very simply. The greatest gift that God's given us is that redemption, that payment, but you need to receive it. And I wanna tell you today, if you're one of those people that's like that fish just running, you need to stop and repent and let him unhook you. Because can I tell you something? I bet that fish was pretty happy to be free. Right? If fish can be happy, Can I tell you something? Jesus said, I've come to set the captive free and heal the brokenhearted. This is a good deal. This is a good deal. You need to receive forgiveness. You need to confess your sin. You need to get free and you need to get on with the life that God has planned for you. You need to get on with it because it's awesome. God has an amazing plan for you. And it's a you plan that nobody else has. It's a you plan. And if you will cooperate with him, he will do things in your life that you could have never imagined. And I don't care where you are now or what you've done or how far off track you may be. He will find you because he goes and he finds that lost one. And he will restore you back, scars and all. And he can give you a life worth living. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Receive it. Receive it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person here. Lord, I thank you for the simplicity of your word. And Father, I know you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. You love us so much. And Father, I ask you right now in Jesus' name that you reach out to these people. And if there's one of your kids here today that's lost, they're hooked, that, Father, right now your peace would reach out to them and that they could be free. If you're here today, nobody looking around, please, nobody looking around. This is important. If you're here today and that's you, 
You've been deceived and you're hooked and you don't like where you are. You don't like the way things are going and you want to be free. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that is me. I see your hand. I see your hand. Amen. You want to be free. It's his promise for us. Amen. We're just going to take a minute. We're not in a hurry. Thank you, Jesus. We had some people raise their hands this morning. This is why we're here today. If you slip your hand up this morning, or maybe you didn't, but you knew you needed to, we're going to pray in a moment. And we're all going to pray together. And what we're going to do is we're going to confess our sin to God and we're going to repent. And we're going to receive his forgiveness today. His peace is in this place. You can feel him. And that's his love. Notice there's no judgment. There's no judgment. There's just freedom. Everybody right where you are, everybody just stay seated right where you are. I want you to just, everybody in the room, just place your hand over your heart this morning. Nothing magical about this. I just don't want us to be distracted. I don't want you to think about people around you. Nobody's looking around. For some of you, you have waited years for this moment. And now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of freedom. I want all of us to pray this together. It's about your heart this morning, okay? Let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, you know me. You know my heart. And you know what I've done. I've been deceived. But I went along with it. Lord, I'm asking you today to forgive me, to cleanse me, I receive your forgiveness. Lord God, give me peace. I give you my life. Make me the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, so be it. Amen. Is God good? Yeah, he's good. I want you to know, guys, just how special you are to him, how much he loves each and every one of us. This is real, okay? This is real. Allow him in here and allow him to take this and allow him to change your heart and become the person you want to be. I'm telling you, there are people in this room, I know their story, and God has changed them. And and they're doing things they never would have thought they'd have done. And God's able to restore that. It's what he does. He's good like that. Amen. Well, I'm about to dismiss you. And I'm going to pray over you first. But we're going to do something a little different today. I've got some youth that are volunteering. Who's volunteering over here? Okay, if you guys go ahead and go over there. Stand over there. Who's on this side? You're over there, Spence. It's over here. Here's what I need to do now. 
you guys on Wednesday nights. This is actually our youth building. And so after service on Sunday morning, we need to reset it up for the youth. And so these are some of our leaders. And so what they're going to do in a moment, if some of you would stay behind, they're going to show you how to set the chairs up for them, okay? And so this is just an opportunity for you to serve just a few minutes. But can I tell you something? What they represent and what those kids represent is our future. And our future's in good hands. And we're teaching them to take ownership and serve now because they're just as much a part of the body of Christ as you and I are. And so when you go over there, let them tell you what to do. You know who you are, (laughs) right? Do you know your love, guys? Man, get a hold of it. Let it change you from the inside out, amen? One more thing, next Saturday at what time, Barbie? Two o'clock, 12 o'clock, sorry, over at the park, baseball park in Ash Flat. Uh, the uh, Assembly God Church Light in the Wilderness is doing their citywide Easter egg hunt. And we always sponsor that with them. Uh, we give financially to that, and, but they also need volunteers. So if you can be there at 12 o'clock, it'll be just for a few hours, but I want to encourage you to come out there, just dress, you know, however you want to dress, it's appropriate, not freezing. And uh, go out there and enjoy yourself, and let's volunteer and bless some kids, okay? Let's all stand this morning. I'm going to release you. I don't know about you. Y'all are probably ready to go home. I'm just kind of like being here. <laughs> Y'all are like, well, I'm leaving, so, you know, whatever, Jack. <laughs> Grab your neighbor's hand this morning. Let me pray over you. Father, I speak a blessing over these amazing people today. Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy would flow in them and flow through them. Lord, that as we leave this place today, that your light would shine from us and that people would see you in us and that we would glorify you, Lord, by the way we live, by how we treat each other, how we act. Change the world, Lord, through us and let it begin by us loving each other at home. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said it. Amen. God bless you. Let's help these guys get this room set up. Y'all have a great week. God bless you.